Welcome to Econoday Unplugged. Each week, our expert team explains the relationship between economic announcements and market reaction. For over 25 years, Econoday has provided value for the investment industry, amassing a comprehensive, machine-readable database of global market events. Econoday provides solutions for macroeconomics, sovereign debt, agricultural commodities and historical data, all delivered via API, XML and HTML. Connect the dots with Econoday. Subscribe to the Econoday Unplugged podcast and go to www.econoday.com to follow market events. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 19th of March 2019 and with spring just around the corner, a particularly sprightly Mark Pender is across the water stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London where at least the sun's trying to come out. Well, last week was certainly one to remember for the Brexit cognoscenti, with Prime Minister May at one point telling her own party to vote against her own motion. And with just 10 days days to go before Brexit Day itself, plans for yet another attempt to get her withdrawal bill through Parliament this week look to have been scuppered. And that's just ahead of the EU leaders' summit on Thursday and Friday. Meantime, back in, dare we call it, the real world of central banking, with the the FOMC kicks off its March meeting today, and both the Bank of England and Swiss National Bank will be announcing their respective policy decisions on Thursday. To which end, Mr Pender, Mm. um, I suppose not much on the rate side today, or tomorrow, I suppose, with the announcement, but what should we be looking for in forecasts and things like that? Well... Uh, this is the quarterly uh, update for the FOMC economic forecasts and their policy forecasts. And in between the last one, which was in December, we had the big pivot in January where the Fed moved, of course, from a slightly uh, biased toward raising rates to a wait and see, mm-hmm. could go either way. And so now it's time for these uh, forecasts to be updated. And uh, because they come out every other meeting, unlike now the Fed's uh, uh, Powell's uh, uh, conference uh, press conference, which is now every meeting, uh, he's been raising the issue, or it's been raised in the minutes, whether or not how useful these forecasts really are. Are they giving you uh, something that's old, something that is getting in the way of their transparency of what it is? They they have so many moving parts to their policy announcement, to the activity, to all the guidance and everything. Maybe this is one that uh, could uh, stand to be updated. This is, of course, the dot plot. But this will really be the most important part uh, of the meeting because uh, there's really no expectations at all for any kind of rate change or any super meaningful uh, content change to the announcement. So, can, I just, can I just quickly ask before, sure. you, before, you, before you go on? In uh-huh. terms of these forecasts, do they have to supply these forecasts under law? Or is it down to the Fed themselves? It's down to the Fed themselves. Okay. Uh, uh, And they can uh, change it, modify it uh, however they want. Um, They would want to give everyone uh, advance notice about how they're going to do it. Uh, uh, And that, of course, course is their style. So... um, what what we can expect to see is we had the GDP uh, – well, the most important one will be how many rate hikes uh, are we going to be getting um, this year. The last one in December moved it down from three to two, which was the first uh, incremental shift toward the neutral. Uh, before that, they had been anticipating – signaling 
that they would be raising rates uh, three times or uh, three quarter point rates would be the interpretation. Uh, that moved down to two. And now are we going to, uh, in December, what are we going to get now? I mean, are we going to get uh, two uh, as expected? No, we're definitely going to be trimming that down at least to one. And uh, perhaps for the next year uh, where another one had been expected, maybe we'll actually trim that down too. So that'll be the first place to uh, show it. And, you know, in the Fed speak, it's always a little bit uh, awkward. So their number is 2.9% for the federal funds rate by the end of the year. Right now we're at two and three eighths. So that two and nine is really two and seven eighths. So that is, so, you know, we can expect that then to be down in their terminology, maybe to uh, 2.8, which would be 2.75, something like that. That would almost be uh certain that you're going to have to move that number down. Otherwise, there'd be a, a complete conflict between uh, what the Fed's guidance is and what their FOMC forecasts is, right. are, are. And also GDP is also uh, up for grabs here. Their last one was 2.3%. Which isn't, uh, a, you know, which is a, a, a nice, moderate, sustainable rate of growth, um, but that may be coming down. Uh, their their twenty twenty um, uh, forecast is two point is two point zero percent, going down to one point eight percent, and the longer run, which is another uh, element they have, is one point nine percent. So you might be seeing uh, them. Uh, trim that down a little bit. Whether or not this is going to be an explosive market moving event, I really ser seriously doubt it. Um, so it's kind of a, a wait and see. Um, I think uh, if they do say anything and there is a surprise, it's going to be on quantitative easing and they're going to be pulling that back and uh, the tightening, the, uh, the tightening part. And um, so that is up for grabs and how uh, that is explained. Of course, um, uh, the, the less of uh, the tightening they do, the more accommodative they will be, which would be in line. I think which 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 is their uh, step back approach. Let's there's a lot of factors in the economy right now which are are maybe losing steam. Certainly, maybe the manufacturing sector, uh, given global slowing, maybe that's losing steam. Certainly, uh, consumer spending isn't showing any life. Housing is an outright struggling. The, the, the Federal Reserve. FOMC doesn't uh, put a lot of stress on the housing sector. Maybe they will uh, uh, in this meeting, in their either in their announcement or in uh, Powell's uh, 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 press conference. And um, any uh, stress there would also be in line with kind of a stepping back, cautious. Uh, let's you know, let's uh, let's not disrupt the economy. Right. Is there any expectation that um, they may come out with sort of a, I don't know what you could say, a hard target for the balance sheet for year end? I I don't know. I mean, anything is up for grabs. They could do a, a target size. They've more or less confirmed, uh, and I'd be more or less in between the lines that were, they're, they're talking about something in the, uh, you know, in the three and a half trillion dollar uh, range for the size of their uh, balance sheet, where they want to see it. Right now, it's uh, under four, just under four trillion. So that would still be, uh, you know, a significant amount of runoff through most of the year to to reach those levels at their current rate. Um, they could provide a target. They could provide a, a an end date. Um, and there's always the you know the possibility that they could shake up the markets by our uh, expectations by actually announcing 
uh, an end date or actually announcing a, such a target. And in that case, I think you would probably see a big rally in the stock market. But I wouldn't say that's their style. I mean, it would be a, another indication of something like that would be approaching sometime sooner than later in their kind of lingo. Okay, are you looking for a, um, a unanimous decision? Everyone Everything has been Evan unanimous. Everything agreeing with the boss? Everything. Uh, Powell has managed to do this uh, since he uh, uh, started at the beginning of last year to get every single vote on his side. He's really, a, uh, uh, a unlike Brexit, for instance, <laughs> he's able to get a, a coalition, a very, very strong coalition. And, and this is the time of uh, historic uh, controversy for the Fed, given uh, President Trump's um, uh, criticism, open criticism. Uh, yeah, sure. On a public level, so this kind of like circling the wagons kind of thing, and he's managed to pull that off. Okay, well, um, all right. Let's just stick with the central banks for a moment, at least quickly touch on the Bank of England and uh, the Swiss National Bank. Although, to be honest, the chances are they won't be overly interesting. As far as the Bank of England's concerned, then on Thursday, expectations are well, what can they do when the Brexit fog is as thick as ever? Because let's be honest, their um, their prospects of calling the outlook for the economy accurately is about as high or as low as anybody else at this stage. So very much then the market looking for no change in bank rate. So that will remain at 0.75% and no change in quantitative easing, which is under our court, we say our, under the Bank of England's forward guidance, that's kind of a done deal because they're still saying that there won't be any change in their quantitative easing, the stock of quantitative easing, until such time as bank rate is much closer to 1.5%. So in other words, another 75 basis points above where we are at the moment. So I guess the main thing to look at there will be, apart from whatever they have to say about uncertainties surrounding Brexit, et cetera, et cetera, is rather not going to change their, their current bias because at least as far as things currently stand, they're still intimating, of course, dependent upon Brexit, that the, the natural move in UK interest rates is still towards the upside um, because they still believe that inflation, the inflation target, the 2% medium term target could be under pressure given what remains a very tight labour market. Jeremy, can I ask yeah. a question? Do you think uh, I, yeah, the pound really took off last week? Now, is behind there a subtext of what you were just talking about, a, a Bank of England bias uh, to the upside in the rates? I think you've got to say that that's providing the pound with some underlying support. But, you know, realistically, the pound movements last week and indeed the pound's movement over the last several months, if not the last couple of years, has been so tied to Brexit. It's not true. Um, I'll have a quick chat about Brexit in a minute. But really, there were some sort of favourable developments uh, from the political sphere last week, which as far as, you know, those investors who really want the pound, well, I should say the pound, that the UK to either remain in the European Union or at least emerge from a European Union with a good trade deal. You know, developments there were quite positive. But I think it's perfectly fair to say that if this Brexit really does sort of you know, go the wrong way, then the idea that the bank will hike interest rates or might hike interest rates has got to be supportive, particularly against the kind of background you were talking about with the Fed, where you know, trimming Fed tightening, um, the likes of the ECB, where all of a sudden now you know, people actually starting to contemplate the possibility of additional easing. So there's got to be at least a plus factor for the bank. 
Um, what else we got on the similar sort of vein? Then the Swiss National Bank, and really they haven't moved uh, policy for yonks now. It's been a long time since we saw a link coming out of them, and it's really back down to the currency as well. As far as the SMB is concerned, um, you know they'd still like to see inflation higher. They don't have a specific target, but ostensibly they'd like to see inflation running close to the two percent mark. So a bit like the ECB. As we speak, headline inflation is only at 0.6%. The core rate is only at 0.4%. And their big problem, of course, for some while now has been the strength of the Swiss franc, which has dampened down import prices. It's also helped to dampen down the economic activity to some extent. And that's been crucial in keeping inflation low. Since the last meeting, and the SMB only holds quarterly meetings, unlike most central banks, uh, the exchange rate has been relatively stable. So that's at least eased some of the would-be pressure on them to come out and make their interests even more negative. I just quickly mentioned that their target range for three months, Swiss franc LIBOR, that's still minus 1.25% to minus 0.25%. And their key so-called deposit rate, that still stands at minus 0.75%. So despite the fact we've got very negative interest rates in Switzerland, it's the currency itself is still perceived as being you know, the safe haven currency instrument across Europe. So when there's any, any kind of geopolitical problems or uncertainty about Brexit or whatever it may be, the Swiss franc tends to see these strong capital inflows. That hasn't been happening quite so much of late, despite all the Brexit stuff. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's pretty well a done deal that the SMB will also vote to, uh, you know, to keep interest rates on hold again on Thursday. There won't be any real surprises there. Okay, so can we turn to Brexit now? Yep. And when we do, I have a, I have a question. And, you know, the, uh, there's been uh, a rule that you can't have uh, an identical vote um, yes. <laughs> on the same uh, in the same group there. But why would they even want to have the identical vote? Uh, they lost it by a, a large degree, and the subsequent votes were all all came in as expected. Was there any expectation that even if they did take a second vote, that anything would be different? Now that is a very very sensible question. Now, I'll just quickly put this into context. So people, I'm sure, are becoming used to these so-called meaningful votes. The second meaningful vote took place last week on Tuesday. And Mrs. May managed to lose that one by 391 to 242, i.e. a whopping great 149 votes. Why, Mike, you ask, and indeed Mr. Pender did ask, would you bother putting this thing forward again unless there's any proper changes to it? And as you mentioned, this is what the speaker said. The speaker is effectively in the House of Commons. He's the guy, the most important person really outside the prime minister who determines what bills and what parliament procedures go through. So if he says uh, Mrs. May can't put this effectively same bill through again unless there's some significant changes made to it, it simply can't go through unless they change the rules somehow. Now, Mrs. May's point of view is I suppose it's or more and more it looks like a case of brinkmanship. So, as we know, as it stands at the moment, she's to put it through again today, she'd lose it. However, what she's hoping for is that the closer we get to Brexit Day itself, and say that's what, just 10 days away now, there are going to be those Brexiteers who start thinking, well, as of last week, Parliament, okay, it's a non-binding vote, but Parliament voted heavily in favour of rejecting a no-deal Brexit which effectively means that almost certainly, you know, come uh, 29th of March, Brexit Day, Brexit Day won't happen then. There's going to be an extension. 
Now, if you're in favour of Brexit, want to see the pound, sorry, the pound, want to see the UK out of European Union as soon as possible. The big worry now becomes that if there's an extension to Brexit, how long is that going to be? The danger is at the moment, and I think as we understand, Mrs May is currently writing the official letter uh, to the EU now requesting a Brexit extension through to the end of June if she can get her deal through or something longer if she can't. So the worry amongst the Brexiteer camp is that, well, if there's an extension, let's say as long as two years, I mean, heck knows how long it could be, you know, will we actually ever see Brexit taking place in the first instance? And if that's the case, are they then better voting for Mrs May's deal, which at least means that Brexit does take place, albeit not as they want to, or at least not in the same fashion they want to, or simply risk the fact that Brexit might never happen? So I think it really is a lot of kind of you know, in-house politicking going on here. And Mrs May realises at the moment she doesn't have the support but she may win the reluctant support of the Brexit camp just because they become scared that Brexit might never happen. Can I ask now, you mentioned in-house, and I, uh, I, I, is it really true that the EU also has a call on this and that all 27 members have to agree on uh, a new date? Yeah, that is right. So effectively, uh, Mrs May will put... Uh, but the next step is that Mrs May will have to write to request an official extension. The, the shape of the extension is supposedly partly negotiated between the UK and the EU. But as you say, for an extension to be ruled upon in the first place, each EU member, so all other 27 members of the European Union, will have to give it the nod. And, and can, they, can they abstain? Yeah. I mean, I mean well, is, they, there a, is there a risk that you can't get 27 votes? There is, but I think it's unlikely in the sense that there's not really any individual country which wants to see you know, the UK fall out without any kind of a deal. Because as bad as it is for the UK economy, you know, it's going to be bad news for the rest of the Euro European what, Union as well. What about France? France isn't seeming so uh, agreeable. France, no. France has always a sort of, you know, back banging the drum. But by the same token, even Macron isn't interested in seeing a no deal Brexit. You know, there's a, there's a massive amount of trade between the UK and France. And the idea is suddenly stick, sticking tariffs on all sorts of goods and services. You know, it's going to be negative for the UK and it's going to be negative for France as well. Um, you know, so the real issue is at the moment, well, what do we know since last week? You know, what's actually changed in terms of the Mrs. May's Brexit proposals? Absolutely nothing exactly the same as they were last week when they were basically just shot down. We do know now that it's much more unlikely that there'll be a second referendum because one of the amendments which were um, voted on in Parliament last week was, was turned over quite quickly. It doesn't mean to say we can't have a second referendum, but the time being, at least, that looks to be fairly unlikely. And also the idea of a no deal, well, Parliament is clearly against that. But you know, as we've said countless times in the past, as we currently stand under UK law, the default position as if nothing has changed by the time we get into the 29th, so next week, then the UK will be leaving the European Union with or without deal. Okay, so let's talk about the pound. Now, is it, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, buying the rumor, selling the fact, if we, if we do get this extension, would there then be a, a retreat in the pound? 
I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. My, my, my gut feel is that if we do get an extension, then there's going to be you know, at least some kind of mini relief bounce. I think you know, we've seen the pound hold up, particularly against the euro, the kind of you know, the bellwether gauge we talked about in the past. The pound's actually held up pretty well through all this lot. It's been very volatile, certainly, but you know, put a straight line through it and it's actually done pretty well. So there must be some good news already built in there. So this is, as you say, buy the rumour, sell the fact. But at this stage, it's still not clear what's going to happen. So personally, I mean, as I speak, sterling euro is trading for about one spot, one six eight. We've been almost up to one eighteen during the course of the last week or so. So I think if we were to get the news that, yes, an extension has been, let's say, even if it's just through to the end of June, that gives markets you know, a chance just to get their breath back and think, well, OK, you know, if it gets to the end of June, perhaps we can extend it further. Who knows? Perhaps we won't leave the EU and that would be bullish for the pounds. So at this stage, even though the pound is actually you know, trading relatively well, given the uncertainty, I still tend to think there's a little bit more upside to it. Mm. But it's got to be said, if this thing all falls out of bed and they just they can't agree something, then yes, I mean the pound could come off easily ten percent very quickly. Whoa, you, that would be that would be an amazing move. Well, it's a, an amazing move, yes. But I think if we go back to the referendum, where are we? What back in the middle of two thousand and sixteen? Uh-huh. Um, you know, the pound went from I think back now we had um, on sterling dollar we were trading at about one forty four, and within a space of what a couple of days we were down about one twenty eight, one twenty five, and a similar size move in as short a space of time against the euro. So it would be hugely volatile, and it really would be a, a major shock to financial markets. <laughs> And, and and certainly firms and uh, certain firms might not be able to survive such a sudden move like that. Yeah, that's completely true. And one of the issues over here, of course, has been you know this contingency planning. We know there's been a lot of stockpiling in certain areas, but you know that doesn't help every firm. So yes, it would be your proverbial right royal mess. Okay. Um, well, I suppose that's as good a good a point as any to leave, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> on that on that happy note. Um, yes. Um, anything else from your side? No. You uh, we're just waiting for the F one C. You know, and uh, and the data has been soft, and uh, really that's why the Fed is going to be uh, uh, standing aside, and we're all just with our jaws gaping open watching Brexit. Right. Okay, then. Well, so let's wrap it up there, then. As ever, on behalf of Mark and myself, thank you very much for listening. I'm going to pop out and buy myself a tin helmet, and um, we look forward to doing it all again next week. Bye for now. Econoday has provided value for the investment industry for over 25 years, amassing a comprehensive, machine-readable database of global market events. Our exceptional data set consists of consensus, actual reported and revised numbers of economic events. Algorithmic trading firms, global banks, asset managers, hedge funds and AI technology firms are leveraging Econoday's unique historical data set to fuel their propriety trading models and support their research and compliance teams. Go to www.econoday.com and follow at Econoday on Twitter to learn more.